You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hey guys, and welcome to the latest Testudo Times Outtakes Podcast. I'm your host, Lila Bromberg, here with Matt Levine. And today we're joined by Dwayne Simpkins today over Zoom, who is a guard for Maryland men's basketball under Gary Williams from 1992 to 96, helping the program advance to two Sweet Sixteens during his time at Maryland. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you guys? Good. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. So even before we get into your career, you know, at Maryland, you really made yourself uh, a name. You made a name for yourself as an All-American at DeMatha under, you know, legendary coach Morgan Wooten. Um, and you made that varsity team as a freshman, which is, you know, really hard to do at a program like that. Could you kind of tell us about your time there and how that laid the foundation for your basketball career? Yeah, I, mean, I was really blessed to have um, been coached by arguably one of the best coaches, you know, regardless of sport or level of all time and coach Wooten, um, you know, coach Wooten was really big on uh, process. You know, rarely did we talk about, Hey, we've got to, we got to win this game or this game. It was like, Hey, win the day, win the day. That was one of his, 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 uh, his sayings. And um, it just laid the foundation for me to not look at, you know, the, the three or four steps down the line, just focus on the things that are right there in front of you, the present stuff, the things that you can control. And that was, you know, your, your attitude, your effort in that particular day. So um, obviously I learned a ton from him. Um, I would say the best coach that I've ever had. Um, and I've been very fortunate. Hey, Gary Williams is a coach as well. He's a Hall of Fame coach. But Coach Wooten, uh, you know, helped lay that foundation for just being able to have the proper mindset and approach to process and everyday work. And you grew up in the DMV, you played basketball in college in the DMV, now you coach in the DMV. So if you had to explain it to someone from somewhere else, how would you describe the basketball scene in the DMV? Um, it's just competitive, man. You know, it, it starts from nine, ten years old. You know, I've got a 12-year-old right now that's playing AAU basketball, and, um, you know, it's competitive. I, I think that's what separates the D.C. area uh, from some other areas. Um, I think the fact that we have really good coaching, uh, you know, especially in the high school level, but even at the grassroots level, um, you know, Damon Hannon and those guys at DC premier. And then you've got, um, Keith Stevens and those guys with team takeover. You go to the high school level, you got Steve Turner at Gonzaga, you got Mike Jones at the math at Glenn Farello at all six, you know, this is very unique. I don't think people realize that because they, they're in this area all the time, but if you're like myself, you know, I'm out recruiting in different parts of the country. Uh, I spent three years down in North Carolina at UNC Greensboro, and I recruited a ton down there. And you just don't see this um, this level of competition, coaching, and, and uh, even training. You know, we've got a bunch of trainers in this area that are really, really good guys that were either played uh college basketball or professional basketball. And now they're actually teaching some of these young kids. And uh, again, it just starts so young, you know, you see guys, you know, spending time with their conditioning and they're 11, 12 years old. I think that lays the foundation for uh, really good basketball players. And were you, when you were growing up in this area, what Maryland players or DMV players did you look up to? Oh, shucks. Um, University of Maryland, you know, Keith Gatlin, 
Lynn Bias. Um, you know, I was a Georgetown fan uh, before I was a Maryland fan, honestly. And, you know, Pat Ewing, Gene Smith, and, um, you know, all of those guys. Um, and then, you know, Kurt Smith, who not a lot of people outside of the D.C. area know of, but Kurt Smith is arguably one of the most talented uh, basketball players have come out of this area. His brother, Charles Smith, played at Georgetown and ended up being drafted with the Celtics and played in the NBA for a number of years. But Chris Smith was just as talented as any of those, any of those guys. Um, shucks, you know, I could go down a list. Clint Venable uh, from here in PG County. Henry Hall, who went to Parkville, went to UTEP and was newcomer of the year uh, for the one year that he was there. I mean, you can go down a list. There's so many guys and so many people don't know of, uh, but I played pickup ball with in the summertime and spring. And, you know, if you know basketball in this area and you're a pretty good player, you know those guys. And was there kind of any games or moments you remember from any of those players that really had an impact on you? Um, Kurt Smith. Uh, so I was a freshman at DeMatha and um, Kurt was a senior at Coolidge at the time. And the city title game back in the day was, you know, you played at Coldfield House and there was always a preliminary game, which basically pitted the second place team from the now WCAC from the Catholic League and it pitted them against the second team out of the, then the inner high, which is now the DCIAA, but it was public versus private. And that was a preliminary game. And then the championship game obviously was the number one teams uh, from, from the public and private schools. But we finished second that year to Carroll and they finished second that year to Dunbar. And I remember playing against Kurt. It was the first time I played against him. I'd always seen him. And, you know, he was strong. He was averaging 30 points a game. And I just remember being so nervous. And I was like, just don't get embarrassed. Don't get embarrassed. Because he had a wicked crossover and everything. And I just remember stepping foot on that court and bowing in front of thousands of people. I'm 14 years old at the time. And uh, so that was a big moment for me. And as an All-American at DeMatha, I'm sure a lot of colleges were trying to get you to play for them, but what led you to go to Maryland? Um, just the relationships that I had built from, um, you know, the, the, the previous players and the staff, um, you know, my AAU team at the time, we, we would practice at Maryland once or twice a week. Um, and uh, Walt Williams, you know, even when I was at the math, I was a, I was a junior in high school. I would come up and play pickup ball with those guys. And I became, you know, I was almost an extension of the team at the time. You know, Walt used to cut my hair, you know, in his dorm room. I'm like, you know, this is a college All-American that's going to be a, a lottery pick. And he was, he's still to this day, one of the most down to earth, quote unquote, celebrities that I've ever met. Uh, but he, he took the time. I mean, he would cut my hair once every two weeks or so, you know, at the University of Maryland. So even, so before I got a chance to even, um, you know, get to campus, I knew that this was a place that was really special uh, for me because of the connections that I had made. But um, it was tough. You know, when I was being recruited by Duke uh, at the time, Miami, Leonard Hamilton was the coach there. Um, Wake Forest, Dave Odom at the time was there. Uh, in Providence, uh, Rick Barnes, who's now at Tennessee, uh, was, was, was recruiting me pretty heavy at the time as well. So Walt would and, cut your hair. Walt I didn't know he had that hair. skill. Walt would cut my hair, and I, we would it would be funny because I, I would have a break in my schedule my senior year, and in, a, in the, the afternoons, I think my day might have been at might have been over most of the time at 12 o'clock or something like that, and I would just drive down Route 1. 
I go up in the dorms and, you know, he would cut my hair. We watched uh, Young and the Restless uh, would come on at 1230. And me and some of the other guys in the team, we were sitting around watching soap operas, you know. Uh, and here I am, a, a high school senior. So those were some pretty good memories. And do you have a, a favorite memory of uh, playing under Gary Williams or just a Gary Williams story in general? Uh, man, I can go down the list. Um, one of them, one of them was, um, my freshman year, um, my freshman year. Yeah. My, our very first road game, uh, was against West Virginia. And, uh, we had a charter flight up there. We go up there and like, it's, it's a rowdy place. I had never known that place to be, you know, that loud and everything, but we lose the game. It's our first loss and it's my first road game. Um, obviously as a freshman and I just remember being on the plane coming back and, um, you know, coach was, he was pissed obviously. Right. But it was the first time that I had seen it up close and personal and I'm, I'm kind of laying down. I lift, I look up and Gary's just sitting there. He's got his arm on a, on like the wall and he's just looking at us. And I just put my head back down a few minutes later, pick it back up and he's still there. He's just staring at us and everything. And, um, you know, I tap a couple guys next to me and they, they kind of look up and everything. And he just starts spazzing like, it doesn't hurt you guys enough. It should hurt you. You shouldn't be asleep right now. You guys got your hoods on and your, your headphones on. It should hurt you. And I was like, whoa, this is this is college basketball. And this is Gary Williams at his finest right here. You know, so that was that was like right off the bat. It was like, hey, when you when you lose, it should hurt. Uh, but he was just at a different level of intensity. And while at Maryland, you made up a really good backcourt duo with Johnny Rhodes. What made you guys mesh so well? Um, I think it goes back again to, you know, one of the earlier questions that you guys had asked about what makes DMV basketball so special. Um, I think both of us, uh, while he went to public school at Dunbar, I went to DeMatha. We still, you know, it was in our blood to, to be competitors. It was in our blood to be really uh, take a lot of pride in our games and everything. Um, and I think we complimented each other well because he was a, he was a shooting guard and I was a pure point guard. You know, if we both were kind of combos, it might've overlapped a little bit. It might've been a little conflict, but I just think that uh, we both were really competitive. We had a lot of pride, um, you know, and we wanted to both establish, help Maryland be established as one of the basketball teams in the ACC again. And Joe Smith came into the program uh, during your sophomore season and quickly established himself as one of the best players in the nation. But what were your initial reactions just playing next to him, practicing with him? Oh, man, I knew I knew Joe was going to be special. Um, we used to play for the preseason. Uh, you know, at the time, the coaches couldn't – they couldn't work us out. You know, the rules have changed. So on Sunday nights at um, things like 7 o'clock, we would play pickup ball as a team, just a team. And uh, it was the first time that we had our returning players play with our uh, all the new players. And that year, it was uh, we had a guy named Nemanja Petrovic who was a sophomore, uh, played limited minutes just like I did. But you could tell, you know, he was going to be pretty good. We both played limited minutes our freshman year, but everyone assumed like, hey, sophomore year, Dwayne's going to be the point guard, starting point guard. Nemanja is going to be the starting center. Joe Smith would come off the bench and Keith Bufu was coming in, would probably be a starter. And Nemanja was pretty good. I mean, he was a European kid, 6'9", could shoot it from outside. Um, but that Sunday, Joe put on a clinic 
and it was like basket after basket after basket. Nemia couldn't score on them. And um, the next day we have class. I get out, get done with class, and it's like three o'clock. I walk into my dorm room, and in my suite, you know, it's always it's all all of our, all of our players on our team. You know, three guys, three other guys. You know, I walk through the door, and they're like, "Hey, man, you, you heard about Nemia?" I'm like, "No, nah, well, what happens? Nemia's transferring." And it was just like that because Joe was just so dominant. It was just obvious to everybody, like, hey, he's he's special. So special, Nemia said, hey, I got to take my, my talents elsewhere. And with, you know, you making your sophomore jump and Joe Smith joining, um, you guys really started to make big strides as a program in that 1993-94 season. Um, and so we want to take you back to one of the first games this year, that year when you guys went on the road to face number 13, Georgetown. Um, and you guys managed to win 84-83 in overtime. What do you remember from that game? Uh, just I remember us being down. Um, you know, they were just – they were a good team. They were really good defensively. We started off pretty good, and I just remember us, us hitting a wall. And I didn't have my best game um, that game. Uh, Joe, Joe had a really good game. Um, I just remember us being down, and we fought back, fought back, fought back. And uh, obviously the game goes to overtime. And um, we, were, we were down again in, in overtime. Again, we fought back. Curtis Schultz gets a steal. And Curtis Schultz at the time was, you know, playing five or six minutes a game. And for some reason, Coach had him in the game. He gets a steal. And Coach, you know, we call a timeout. And um, I think everybody can remember what happened after that. I come out. And, you know, my, my job at the time was to try to penetrate and drop the ball off the Joe. But I made a move. And I, I had some um, had some room. Uh, to, to drive to the basket. I remember seeing Don Reed from Georgetown coming up at the last second. I was like, I, I think I can get this ball over his hand, but um, got it over there, over his hand, and it fell through the net. But the biggest thing that night, man, just remembering all the red that was in U.S. Air Arena at the time, because that was a rogue thing for us. But we had three quarters of that place was 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 were Maryland fans, and that was really really cool to see. Was that surreal for you? You mentioned, you know, growing up a Georgetown fan and then becoming a Maryland fan. How strange and yeah. you know surreal was that for you to, you know, play them that season? Oh, it was it was it was really surreal. It was it was really cool, you know, seeing John Thompson, you know, uh first African American to take his team to the final four and he's right there on the sidelines and he's he's six eleven, seven foot, you know, and it be he was an intimidating figure. Um but someone that in the area was really well respected. So for us to go up against Georgetown, I think that was the first game of the season. They were number whatever 13 in the country. We we were picked to be dead last in the ACC that year. Um, you know, that was really cool. You mentioned being picked to be dead last, but you ended up becoming a 10 seed that year in the NCAA tournament. And you went to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 1985. So what was your guys' mindset going in? And then once you got the bid to the tournament, did it change at all? Uh, our mindset, man, we had a uh, – I think what made that team so good was the fact that like, we had a – I like to call an athletic arrogance. Like we were really, really connected, but we had a sense that like, hey, we can play with anybody. Um, and especially after we beat Georgetown um, that year and we had a pretty good year in the ACC – you know, we just felt like we can go play against anybody. I mean, that was that was our mindset, and I think that's what helped helped us to be successful not only in the regular season, but once we got to the NCAA tournament, uh, we eventually lost against UMass that we had early in the year, I and mean, we felt like we can we can beat anybody. And that next the next season after that, the ninety four ninety five season was you know the one where you guys really made your mark 
And uh, I was looking at the archives, and I have to ask you about one crazy game that year um, against Morgan State in December. You guys had a program record, 138 points and 85 points in one half. I mean, how did you guys pull something off like that? You know what? I, I don't even remember that. We had 135 <laughs> points? 138. It's still a program record, 85 in one half. <laughs> I, I got to go back through the records. I didn't. I didn't even remember that. Um, I mean, we we always played fast. I mean, we we pressed almost after every possession, um, and, and Gary would have us push the basketball after misses and makes. So we could score. I know we were we were always up there with North Carolina in terms of scoring in the ACC, but 138 points. That's a lot. And was there a moment during uh, the 94-95 season that really sticks out as? Something you realize you, or when you started to realize you could have a special season. Um, one particular thing. No, it was just um. I would say if there was anything to point out, man. No, not really, man. I think uh, you know what? Now I think about it. Probably like the preseason. You know, we would play we would play pickup ball in the summertime after Coach Williams's camp at nine o'clock in the evening. And uh, I just remember it being so competitive. I mean, we would have, you know, some NBA guys who come through and guys from other other colleges, college teams and everything would come through. But, like, our approach, man, like, guys would show up early, put work in. They played hard. We put extra work in during the week. Um, that was when you can really see that our culture was shifting. Um, and anytime you have a a really good program, it's a great program, like your culture, the guys within the, on that team have to – take the ball by the horn, so to speak. And it can't be the coach, it can't be coach laying all the time, you know, forcing guys to get extra shots up. But once your coach is in the right place and the players within that program are taking it upon themselves to do those things, that's when you start to become really, really good. And you mentioned North Carolina. Um, and I was going to bring up, you scored 21 points in two really big games that season, one of which was when North Carolina was ranked number one um, on February 7th, 1995. And you guys had lost to them 190 a month before and then managed to uh, beat them that time around. And, you know, you had 21 points and seven assists. Um, they just always seemed to be a team that got the best of you guys. You know, what changed that time around? Um, I just thought we, we were all maturing. You know, uh, obviously we knew Joe was good. And Joe took another step in his development. He got even bigger and stronger. Um it was that year was my second year of being a full-time starter. And I think I grew in that role. Um, you know, Gary's always going to be tougher. Gary's tough on all the players, but he's even tougher on the point guard. And it, it took me a while to, to make that adjustment. But I think that year was the first year that I really like got comfortable with, with his coaching and the expectations that he had for me as a point guard. And um, I just think everybody just got better. You know, uh, which is which is natural. You know, you're supposed to progressively get better from year to year. And um, and the other thing, too, I mean, we knew in the back of our minds, nobody really talked about it. We knew that, hey, you know, the year before Joe was he was he was uh, a freshman of the year. He was a first team All-American. It's like, hey, Joe does this again. This may be the last year we play with Joe. <laughs> you know, he legitimately could be a lottery pick. Um, so I think there was a sense of urgency there as well. Um to just, just go out and try to do the best we could that year. And do you remember at all just what the energy was like in Cole Fieldhouse at that time, what your guys' celebration Crazy. was like after, you know, to beat that number one team after being picked to finish last just a year before? 
Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, Coldfield House was just was jumping. Um, the game was at seven o'clock. You know, six o'clock. It's an old pool. You know, um, to be able to walk out of that tunnel and smell the popcorn and the bright lights and everything, it was like, this is why you chose to play in the ACC. This is why you chose to play at, at Maryland. Um, so, but that environment, um, it was great to see because we got a chance to see it grow. Um, I remember. This was my sophomore year, I think it was. We beat Georgia Tech on the road, I believe it was. And then I think we had Carolina, whoever, coming into Coldfield House three or four days later. And we were pulling up the hill to Coldfield House. And you could just see people you know, outside. And when you really look, it's like, I mean, these people are camping out to get tickets for the next game. Like That had never happened my freshman year. It wasn't even close. Um, and that's when you can see, like, okay, things are starting to change. And uh, Debbie Al, the former AD there, she had a saying, you know, build it and they will come. Um, and we built a really good program and people were starting to come out. So that was really, really cool to be a part of. And that was a crazy year for the ACC. Four teams tying for the regular season conference championship, Maryland being one of them. And that was the first time uh, Maryland shared it since the 79 and 80 seasons. So how special was it to get that regular season championship? It was it was bittersweet to be honest with you because it was cool that we, we we did tie. I think it was it was us, uh, Wake Forest, Carolina, and who was the fourth? Is you know maybe UVA? Yeah, I think was it was really the, UVA team, was the fourth one. UVA, okay. But I remember the game that came back to bite us in the butt a little bit was uh, we lost the game a Sunday afternoon game, Saturday afternoon game to uh, Georgia Tech that year and um you know because it's 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 history we can talk about it now but like we went out you know a number of guys went out that night and the game is at whatever noon and it's like we had no business going out the night before we just weren't on our game we weren't on our game that's a game that we should not have lost we don't lose that game we're probably sitting at you know we're going to win the acc regular season championship by ourselves and we probably have a slightly better seed for the ncaa tournament too Right. And, you know, even with that, you guys still, you know, made a huge jump in terms of seeding, jumping to a number three seed after being a 10 seed the year prior. Um, and the other, you know, really big game you had um, with 21 points was in that first game of March Madness with 21 points and five rebounds and four assists uh, when you guys beat Gonzaga. What do you remember for that game? You know, how fired yeah. up were you? Oh, I, I, obviously it's the NCAA term. The lights are always brighter and the towels are fluffier, the floors, everything is just like taken to a whole nother level. I just remember that, that, that tournament we played, uh, we were, we were placed in Salt Lake city. We were in Utah. And, um, I just remember that the air, like when you were running up and down the court, like it was like, you couldn't breathe <laughs> as, uh, as easily as you normally could. Um, uh, they had a kid, I forgot his name. He's actually coaching now. He was, you know, scoring 21, 22 points a game. I remember they had a pretty good team. They weren't the Gonzaga that is Gonzaga that you know right now, but they were pretty good. And I think that second round game, we played Texas. Um, and Texas was really good. I had a guy named Terrence Rencher from New York City. He's still the all-time leading scorer at Texas. Um, assistant coach now. He's a really, really good player. Uh, but I remember that team, they would actually run and jump the entire game. They would try to three people and they, they were just trying to steal the ball all the time. And, um, you know, we, we, we struggled with them early, and then we actually um, got a little bit consistent and, and took care of business with them. But I just remember being in, in Utah, 
not being able to breathe a whole lot. And you guys managed to make it to a Sweet 16 again that year. Was that kind of a disappointment vote that you guys lost in that Sweet 16 game? Uh, do you guys kind of feel you could have gone farther? Yeah, and, you know, the, and the thing was, like, again, it goes back to that seed. I really felt like we had a bad matchup. We lost to UConn that year, and UConn was really, really good. They were really good. And they had, off of that team, I want to say they had four of their starting five, four of those guys actually played in the NBA. Um, Kevin Ollie and, and Donnie Marshall. I mean, they were really, really talented. Um, and I just think if we had like a, a two seed, we don't face a UConn maybe until the, the Elite Eight or even Final Four or something like that. But I just think it was a bad matchup for us. We didn't play that well in Oakland. Um, and, you know, that's what happened. And now being an assistant coach at George Mason, what do you think you've taken away from the coaches you had as a player like Morgan Wooden and Gary Williams that you now use as a coach? Um, just understanding that in terms of communicating with you, you're stupid. You, you, you can't coach them all the same. You can't communicate with them all the same. You can't reach them all the same. Um, I think that was a big genius of Coach, coach Wooten. Um, and from Coach Williams, just having that um, – that chip on your shoulder, that attention to detail, and just playing hard every single second that you're on the court. Um, I think those are the things that I've taken from them and try to impart on the guys I work with now. And back in November, uh, your team came back to College Park to face Maryland. What was that like for you to come back to Navigate Center? It was, it was cool. It was cool. You know, you don't get a really chance to soak all of it in because, you know, you're in game mode, you know, um, it was my scout. So I was prepared to, you know, I had to prepare extra hard to, you know, win a game and everything, but, uh, it was cool to walk in the gym. And then as more and more people came in, you know, some guys, some people would come down near the court and come say hi, people I hadn't seen in some years and everything. So that was really cool. Wish we could have won. <laughs> and to end things here, uh, again, we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we want to get your take on kind of two topics that really seem to have, swept college basketball this offseason um you know more and more players especially at mid-major programs and conferences um have been entering the transfer portal and now you know a lot of top recruits have been opting for the g league just what are your thoughts you know as a coach on the current you know landscape with college basketball um i would not begrudge any you know student athlete for transferring um i get the argument hey if, if coaches are allowed to move from place to place with no penalty student athletes shouldn't be penalized either. So, you know, I, I get that. Um, it makes it tougher uh, in this day and age because, you know, there isn't as much, um, I want to say, fighting through adversity. Um, and it, I think it's just, it's just going to uh, invite kids to not fight through adversity. Now, the good thing is on, on, the, on the flip side is that this rule is supposed to be in a place where after you transfer, you can't do it again. You know, so I think everybody's going to be affected to some degree. And then, like you said, once you once you mix in the whole G League thing, you know, I think there's going to be just a trickle down effect. So there are going to be some players that Kentucky's not going to get anymore because they're going to go to this G League. And then all right, now it's going to be like, OK, we couldn't get the top 10 guys or seven, eight guys. All right, what's that next rung of, of players? Well, those players, you know, in the past, maybe they're going to the Butlers of the world. Maybe they're going to Gonzaga's where now those kids are going to go to Kentucky and Kansas. And those kids that would have been coming to say a George Mason, well, now they're maybe going to, you know, a Georgetown or maybe they're going to a Maryland or what have you. So I just think it's going to, it's going to have to flesh itself out in the next two to three years. 
Um, what I hope, honestly, is that the players who are, quote unquote, transferring up, you know, coming from, say, a George Mason to a, a Georgia or what have you, you know, statistics have starting to show right now that those players, their productivity has dropped tremendously and their minutes played has dropped tremendously. Um, you know, I get it. The bright light, they seem like the lights are a little bit brighter at a place like a Georgia or whatever, but it's not like what it was when I was coming up. You know, you got three or four channels, like every everybody's on TV now. Uh, if you want to go to the NBA, NBA has scouts that are everywhere. They're, they're, they're scouring the entire earth for talent. And now you got the technology that you have. They'll, they'll simply pull up your clips online if they're interested enough, if you're good enough. So, um, you know, it's uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, but I think there's going to, I think that's the way it's going to shake out in, in the near future. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me.